0: That I want to invite us all to take our copy of God's Word and open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And for the sake of those who are new to us, we are taking this time this summer to walk deliberately and slowly through the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ. What are the Beatitudes, you ask? The Beatitudes are the teaching of Christ to His disciples regarding what life looks like in the kingdom of God. What life looks like in the kingdom of God. So Jesus' teaching here is aimed at a certain audience. It's aimed at those who are already his sons and his daughters. He, he's teaching his disciples. There were other people there, but he's, he's teaching his disciples what kingdom life is like. Jesus is not teaching something as well. He's He's not teaching that there are moral hoops that we have to jump through in order to clean ourselves up to make ourselves acceptable in the kingdom of God, because we could never do that. There is an infinite gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness, and he knows that. And so he's not teaching, hey, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, here's the things that you have to do. He's saying rather to his disciples, these are the things that are what make up life in the kingdom. These are the things that I've redeemed you to do and to live out. And he's speaking to them. And I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this series week by week, I've been simultaneously overjoyed and simultaneously challenged. I've been overjoyed because it reminds me that there's there's no amount of work that I could do to earn my salvation. And so the fact that salvation is all of grace alone, it just reminds me weekly of great joy because I could never get there on my own. At the same time, it stirs me, right? Because when I, I read through this passage, this doesn't seem to describe me all that much. And I want to grow in being like this description. So with that as an introduction, let's, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Um, again, Matthew 5, I want you to, to take out your copy of God's Word, get there, and let us read with fresh ears this morning. Not because we've heard it many times before. Fresh ears, let's hear the Word of the Lord. And as I read the Word of God, uh, I remind us all, this is the perfect Word. There's no flaw in this Word Perfect counsel comes only from God, and that's what we're about to hear, the perfect counsel of the Word of God. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And let me read verse 8 again, because that's the subject of our text this morning. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Lord, this morning, as we take a few minutes now together as your people to hear your word, We pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination of this text. Lord, open our hearts to your heart this morning, God, because after all, that's what you're most interested in. You're interested in our hearts, not outer performance, not what we look like. You're interested in our hearts, what's going on within us. And so help us now as we look at your word. Change our hearts, Lord. Make us more like Jesus today, Lord, and do it through the power of your holy word. This we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really easy for us as people, isn't it, to focus on the external things of life. I walked in this morning and someone noted my blue shirt, which is unremarkable to me, but somebody noted it and it's like it's so easy to catch The things that we see. It's natural for us to be like that, to notice things that are different from day to day. And we often view life through the lens of what we can see. The Beatitudes exist to remind us that God isn't so concerned about the outward appearance of things because things can look to us one way. Where in actuality, the reality of what is, is quite different from what it may appear on the outside. We can all come to church, can't we, and put smiles on our faces and wear nice clothes and and act like everything's okay. And perhaps it's not an act. Perhaps things are going really well. But we can also do that when things aren't going really well. But we just don't have the time or the energy to tell people what's really going on within us. God is interested this morning in your heart and he wants us all to be blessed, truly blessed by granting the grace to help us to take a step this morning in the purity of our hearts. And as we read this list of the Beatitudes, it would appear to me, as I've been spending time studying them, it appears to me like they, they almost build upon themselves. The previous one leads to the next one. So, so the posture here of the kingdom of heaven, of, of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, are those who have recognized the poverty of their spirit. They recognize that they have no righteousness of their own to bring to God, and therefore they entrust themselves fully to God. They are people who have mourned over their sin, their, their lack of righteousness, have, and have thrown themselves to that mercy which they have received so gracefully. Meekly, we confess our sins together, and that makes us a humble people. And it produces something in our hearts. It produces an appetite for the things of God. Because when God changes our hearts, he creates in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And we grow by faith. And as we receive the mercy of God, now we have something to give away to our spouse and our brothers and sisters in our household and our relatives, and our neighbors, and our co-workers, because we've experienced mercy, now we have the ability to give mercy out. And we are changed by that mercy as it refines us, and it purifies our hearts and our motivations, because we, we think about all things through the lens of mercy. If God has been so merciful to us, how can we not be merciful to one another, even when it's really hard to do that? See, he refines us through these things and he makes us into his image. And in verse 8, we see what God looks at when he looks at us. He looks not at the outer appearance of things. He looks directly at our hearts. See, this beatitude reminds us that God is concerned with what's going on inside. It also reminds us that Jesus came not. He did not come into the world to make us polite people. He didn't come into the world to, to make us have good manners. Jesus came into the world to save sinners whose hearts were dark with sin. Jesus came into the world to, not to reform society and make us a little more polite. Jesus came into the world to change us from the inside out. And the only way that we are pure before God is because we have received the Lord Himself, We have have testified in our hearts. We have believed in our hearts that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We have taken that into our heart and believed it by faith. By faith God cleanses our sin. That's what the New City Catechism this morning declared. We have been made clean. See, God is looking today not at the outer appearance. He's, He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the will, the mind, the place of motivation in your heart. About the state of affairs deep within us. That's what he's most concerned about. We can dress ourselves up. We can make ourselves look good. But God looks at the heart. Man may look at the outer appearance of things. God looks at the heart. See, this was the very issue that Jesus had with the Pharisee. Do you know that that Jesus loved the Pharisees? He loved them. He created them. He, he loved them deeply, and that's why he spoke to them as the religious leaders of the day. He spoke to them in words that may not seem very loving, but in fact they were loving because he wanted them not to miss the whole point of his coming, and so many of them did miss the whole point of his coming. They were consumed with the outer appearance of things. In Matthew 23, uh, he says, You have neglected the weightier matters of the heart. They walked around with their big phylacteries, Scripture tied to their heads, and, and they had long flowing robes which attested to their holiness and righteousness in their estimation. And they were concerned that they would pray long prayers on street corners. And any pastor, whoever preaches any sermon, had better be aware that they, those same motivations can still exist today. Lest we ourselves sound self-righteous. That, that we can't ever do things to appear in a certain way. But Jesus had these words toward the Pharisees. Again, they, they read like a bit almost angry. They're not angry words. They're words... Of great love, listen to what he said after teaching them so many times in that their willful resistance of their hearts. Listen to what he said, Matthew 23:27, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Now when someone said, "Woe like that, that, that's like, if you don't change, danger, destruction is coming to you." And he said to them, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees." Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you are also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Can you imagine? For a moment. Hearing Jesus say that about you. You also appear outwardly righteous to others. But within. You are full of hypocrisy. And. Lawlessness. I can hardly imagine. Words. That would sink me lower. Than those. But that's the very point. Jesus didn't come to reform the manners of society. Jesus came to proclaim that our hearts needed to be born again because sin had shot through our hearts so badly. We were so affected by the curse of sin. Adam and Eve's sin against God was imputed to us all, and he didn't want to play games with people. Jesus was out to change people's hearts he didn't come to say, hey, you all are doing pretty well. You know, I just want to reform a few things here and there. That's why his message was so radical. Because he wasn't out to reform people. He didn't come to make us nice people. He wouldn't have needed to die on the cross in order to make us nice people. Jesus came to take those who were utterly and hopelessly lost and to set us on a whole different direction for our lives. He came to release us from the prison of sin into the joy of the Lord. Jesus came to set us free. That's why these words to the Pharisees, though they sound so strong, they almost sound angry, they are the most loving words he could say to them. Woe to you you don't change destruction is coming woe to you so jesus is concerned with the condition of our hearts again the what is the heart the heart is a metaphor here not for that beating thing in the left side of your chest the heart is a metaphor for like the central processing unit of your heart and your mind and your will the place of emotion the place of passion the place where you make all your decisions the place where you and I, we, we operate from. And Jesus had a heart and still has a heart that is holy. He never sinned. There's no taint of evil ever. Jesus never had a thought in his entire existence that was tainted in any part with anything that was ever evil. And he never will. That's why he's speaking to these people because later in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you, you must be perfect just like my heavenly father is perfect. And so he is, he is making the claim very clearly that he is distinct from all other parts of creation. The psalmist asked this question in Psalm 24. Listen to this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord And who shall stand in his holy place? Look who's worthy to do that. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And does not swear deceitfully. So Jesus here is teaching just what the Old Testament has been proclaiming all along. Who can stand before the Lord? Can just sinners waltz in to the presence of God? No. The only ones that can stand before the Lord are those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And only God could save us. See, if we were in a pit so deep, so low, that all of our good works could never measure up, all of of the things that we could do... They could never measure up. The good news of the gospel then is the greatest news that we could possibly hear. That there's nothing that you can do to climb out of that pit of sin. And that's why Christ came. And that's why when people saw him and and enjoyed him for the miracles he did or for the love that he gave them but didn't actually receive him as their Savior, he was so interested To speak to them, even if it meant offending them. Because he wanted them to experience life. Because he knew that we couldn't climb our way out of that pit of sin. Back in the 1700s, a dude named Augustus Toplady put words to this that we still sing today. You'll recognize this. All the labors of my hands could not meet thy law's demands. Could my zeal? No. Respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save. And thou alone. This is what Jesus is saying to these dear people. Blessed are the pure in heart. And the only way to have a pure heart is to believe in Jesus Christ. That by faith in the resurrected Lord, that we can have our sins forgiven, every last one of them, every sin covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, to be remembered no more, and as Chris said earlier, when God looks at us, by faith in him, when God looks at us, what does he see? not all the the wicked things that we've done, not all the treasonous things we've done against our King, but rather he sees, this is amazing. Lord, help me to live this. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ when he looks at us. I can hardly believe that. I said to the Lord yesterday, I was working on this message. I said to the Lord yesterday, why do you put up with me? Do you ever have those moments when you're just so overwhelmed with who you are in your own misgivings, in your own sins? I still fail so often. Do you ever have those moments where you're like, Lord, how do you put up with me? <laughs> I have those often. And I just said, Lord, if it weren't for your mercy, I would, be, I would be in a gutter somewhere. That's where I'd be. If it weren't for the mercy of the Lord. All the labors of these hands, all the works of my heart, they couldn't meet the righteous demands of God. I need Christ to forgive me. And that's why this is such good news. So we don't have to strive all our lives long to earn somehow earn this righteousness. You've probably talked with people. And you may have asked them, well, if you died today... Why would God let you into heaven? And you've probably encountered people who would say things like, well, you know, if I take a balance of my life, take a survey, probably the good things that I've done over here would outweigh the bad things that I've done over there. And, and you know, God's kind of a grandfatherly, kind man up in the man upstairs. He's a good man. And so, you know, probably they'd be close enough that he'd say, come on in. And I say to that, that, that is the biggest lie you could ever hear in your life. Because no amount of good deeds could ever outweigh the treason that we've committed against God. And so when Jesus, here, here's what, where I'm getting to. When Jesus says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. It's because he knows that they are the people who, who have had their hearts made clean by Jesus' death and resurrection. They have believed on Jesus Christ, and they have been saved. And so he's declaring a blessing over those who are in faith this morning. So if you're in faith this morning, if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus has declared you blessed. Boy, I can hardly think, I can't think of anything more beautiful or more precious than to have god call me blessed can you can you is there any situation is there any condition in your life where where that would supersede god calling you blessed well what if i had uh you know million dollars okay that that would be better you know Lionel Messi. I'll use you, you know a few soccer fans here. He now moved to Florida, and so he's he's making his millions. It seems by the day. Like well, maybe if you had Messi's money, then you'd be happy. Or if you had the circumstances of Steve Jobs. Or maybe if you had a perfect spouse. That would never fail you or a perfect workplace environment. Well, if you had all that money, you'd be on vacation all the time. There's no situation that we'll ever encounter that would supersede the glorious joy of God declaring you blessed. And that's what he's saying here. Blessed are those whose hearts have made, been, been made pure by the perfect cleansing of Jesus Christ. See, there, there are two kinds of purity that, that are here, and I just want to spell them out so we can make sure that we're, we're clear on what's, what Jesus is referring to. There is a positional pureness. So what I mean by that is who you are before the Lord. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. They have received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Uh, When you receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, it is constant. It never changes. You are adopted as a son or a daughter of God. He doesn't unadopt you later down the road. He doesn't do that. God is the one who brings us into his family. He doesn't then kick us out of his family. So God brings us into his family. In position, when God looks at us, we are pure. Praise the Lord. We have hope and joy because of that. Our purity doesn't rest on our performance. Praise the Lord. However even as we are born again, brothers and sisters, um, we still find that we have temptations in our day-to-day life. So this is what I'll call practically pure. So I believe I was born again when I was eight years old in uh, my house in Connecticut. I, I've shared this before. A, a visiting Scottish preacher was was um, doing evangelism week at our church and he taught about heaven and hell, and I, I believed in Jesus and gave my heart to the Lord. So I believe I've been a born-again believer since I was eight years old, and that has not changed. My position since that time has not changed before God, not because of me, because of Christ's goodness and grace. However... There is something that has changed over time in my purity, and I'm still working on it. My my practical purity, in other words, the way I live my life out day by day, the Lord wants to help us to grow day by day in practical purity. How do we know that? Well, you know, sometimes when we're reading the the book of Romans, it's the greatest theological treatise ever written. The book of Romans, in chapter 7, Paul gets to a point where he says... Oh, wretched man that I am. Why does he say that? He says that because he knows how he wants to live. And yet sin had still tripped him up from time to time. And so he says, Lord, help me to walk out what you've made me in my innermost being. You've made me pure. Help me to walk it out, Lord. Sometimes we struggle. So, part of what it means to be pure in heart is to have an undivided heart. Right? Part of what it means to be pure in heart is to be single-minded in our devotion to the Lord. It means to um, not have hypocrisy in us. And I will go on record saying I think we can all be hypocrites from time to time. We don't have a purely single-hearted, single-minded devotion. No, we, we sometimes we fail. Purity of heart, think about it this way. Purity of heart means singleness of purpose. And let me illustrate it scripturally from the negative first. James 4, 8 says this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. So their hearts needed to be purified. Why? Because they were of double mind. What do we take that to mean? It it sounds to me like these people had one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. They were of double mind. They were riding the fence about Jesus Christ. And so he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you men of double mind. How does Jesus say in the gospel? He says it this way. This is beautiful. You shall love the Lord your God. Hear this afresh, dear friends. With all your heart. And with all your soul. And with all your mind. And with all your strength. See, this morning, what I've been wrestling with this week and now have the privilege to present to you just these thoughts. The the Lord doesn't want, He's not interested in, 98% in 98% of you. He's not interested. He's not interested in 99 He He wants all of you or nothing. He's not interested in part-time believers. He, he, he's not interested in part-time purity. He wants all of you, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of Your strength. Now, why does Jesus demand from his disciples all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? It's because he wants us to experience the blessing of being fully his now. We'll get to the promise in just a moment for they shall see God because that's a glorious promise. But, but the reason that Jesus demands from us the totality of our heart is because he knows what's good. He knows what it's like in that sense to see people who are walking with one foot with God and one foot with the world. And he doesn't want that for us. And therefore, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. We cannot ride the fence, dear friends. We cannot ride the fence with purity. And again, I'm I'm preaching To myself. We cannot allow ourselves to be comfortable walking in impurity of any kind. Heart, mind, soul, body of any kind because blessed are the pure in heart. Now I'm not messing with our justification here. We already made that clear that, that by faith that can't be altered. What we are talking about though is our practical day by day holiness. Jesus is calling us to be not of double mind, but of pure mind, that we might walk with the Lord. The the writer of the Hebrews says it this way, pursue this purity and this holiness without which we will not see the Lord. So the people of God will evidence the truthfulness of their faith by Increasing purity in their hearts and lives. How does the Apostle Paul says it? From one degree of glory to the next. There's great grace for us here, dear friends, because at the moment that we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit within our hearts, and he, he helps us so that we can grow and change. You know, I pray that by this time next year, I will be a changed man. And uh, my wife, who's teaching Sunday school, says, Amen. But I do. I do. I want to be different this time next year. It may only be a degree or two, but you know what I'm saying. And I believe that's that's many of your hearts as well. Many of our hearts, sweet, we want to grow. We want to reflect the Lord in all that we say and do. And I just want to remind you that the Holy Spirit, Christian, is in you to help you to get there. He's, he's there facilitating the work of sanctification. And we need to, to walk with him. We need to walk not by our flesh, but by the Holy Spirit that's in us because he's creating something. Jimmy said it in the worship. Set. God's, God's doing something here. He's creating a people for himself. And he does it one little bit at a time. So this week I was reading, um, Nine Marks has a, a journal for pastors, and I was reading a pastor, uh, reading this article, and it said, an open letter to the pastor who's preaching on Sunday. So I was like, well, I guess I should read that. And uh, this was a story written by a fellow pastor who talked about someone who came to his church. He's no longer at that church. Someone who came to his church, and in a manner of saying, he this, this individual who came... Um, he after 8 years of this pastor's work and then he got called to the the pastor got called to another church he said i really couldn't see any change in this person but i got a letter from this man and he had changed amazingly he wrote it a few years after he left and he the point of the letter was change sometimes I want this to encourage you, brothers and sisters. Change sometimes comes slowly. But as we walk with the Spirit, God will do it. Right? Are you with me? If we walk with the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen all in one day, but it will happen. We will reflect Christ in greater and greater ways. And I believe we need to hear that this morning. Because some of us, perhaps have lost sight that God in fact can change us perhaps we've lost sight that though the battle continues to rage in our hearts the battle has been won by the way it has been won and and yet there are skirmishes that we still experience and those skirmishes can weigh us down. And the Lord, I believe, wants to remind you today, dear friend, dear believer, that he's with you, that he is doing a good work in you, and though you may not be able to see where he's doing his work, as we walk with the Lord, he's going to complete the work that he began. He's not going to let you go. He doesn't drop you off. He doesn't say, You've been stubborn. Get out of the car. He doesn't do that. This is God. If He called you into His family, He's going to keep you in His family. And He's going to reform and change your heart bit by bit over time so that when we get to that place and we're fully transformed, we'll be like a bride who's been getting herself ready, a bride to be presented to her bridegroom. You know, Julie, for some reason, uh, recently decided to count up all the weddings I've done in in 25 years of of ministry. And uh, we counted 38 weddings I've had the privilege to do. And I've never in those 38 weddings, I've never seen a bride who wasn't stunningly beautiful. Because that's what brides do. They get themselves ready. And I think that's the heart. Sorry for my tears. I think that's the heart that Jesus is coming to us with here this morning. If we're positionally standing before the Lord, with his righteousness on us, we're adopted into his family by faith. And everyone, by the way, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, so anyone who's here this morning and you don't know the grace of the Lord, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here we are, a people, and at times we can get discouraged with our practical purity. And God wants to say to you this morning, I believe, Hang in there. I'm at work. Hang in there. The Spirit is in you. He will complete the work that He began. And friend, I need to hear that this morning, and I think some of you do too. So we can hang in there because God is creating in us a purity of heart. Now that may mean something for us as well. I mean, Jesus also, just a few verses later, says, if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. Graphic imagery. He's saying, do whatever you need to do in order to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do whatever you, if your eye is bad, like pluck it out. Like, do whatever you need to do. So I'll leave the application to you where the Lord may be calling you to change. I just want you to to know that God is at work and he is changing us from one degree of glory to the next. Now, let me get to the glorious promise that we will receive. The glorious promise, the reward. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Why? for they shall see God. Dear friends, the pure in heart are going to see God. Can you believe that? We're going to see Him. We're going to experience Him. We're going to be in His presence for all time and eternity. There's going to be nothing that will compromise our joy. Nothing. No rain on a picnic. No phone call from a doctor, no diagnosis gone awry. We will never experience anything that will destroy our complete and total joy in being with the Lord. And this reward, by the way, it's for the present and it's also for the future. So let's just think about it for the present. We see God. How do we see God? Like, obviously, we can't see his form. God is spirit. We can't, we can't see his form right now, but we see him in the way that we say, hey, we, you know, we can see the wind. We see the effects of the wind. We see what, what happens when the wind blows. Well, in the same way, we see God. We see that he's at work. We see him in one another changing us one degree bit by bit for his glory. We see him in our personal time with the Lord, don't we? When we are in that quiet place where we have the word of God open on our lap and we just say, Lord, we're so thankful that you've forgiven our sins. We're just so thankful that you have been merciful toward us, Lord, and and we, we have fellowship with the Father. You know what I'm talking about? Like that just personal fellowship. There's a peace that comes deep within our souls. No one can touch it. No one else can put it there either. It's the peace of God which passes all understanding. And that's one way, dear friends, right now that we see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God in their times of prayer. They shall see God in the hope of being with other believers. They shall see God in this life. So we have every reason to have hope this morning because we'll see Him in a future day, but we don't have to wait until then. We see Him now. But let's talk about that future day because one day we'll be gathered in heaven and the light of the countenance of the Lord will light all of heaven. We won't need any electricity. Uh so yesterday morning I woke up uh to no electricity. So I got my phone out and I I reported that to PP&L and they called me back a minute later saying uh this power outage has affected one house. So I was the only house in Sauterton uh yesterday. The only, not my neighbors the Coils, not my neighbors my parents. Nobody else in our neighborhood had no power except for me. And uh, thankfully, the guy came out, and um, some animal had chewed through some wire, and he replaced it, and we were we were off to go. I, I won't be depending upon PP and L when we get to the celestial sores, because the light of the Lord and the glory of His countenance—that's what Scripture says. It's it's going to light our way. We don't need any lamps at night because there won't be any night. It will be one glorious day. Amen. Listen how John just like whets the appetite of the believers when he says this. Beloved, he's he's speaking to the church. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. In a moment. In an instant. In a twinkling of an eye. We shall be changed. Amen. And the glory of the Lord. Will radiate around us. And we will see God, dear friend, let this comfort you this morning with all the challenges that you experience, with all the disappointments that you walk through, with all the brokenness that we feel in the world around us and perhaps even in our own lives. Dear Christian, you will see God and you'll be with him and you'll be able to enjoy him for all time for What does the psalmist say? Where the presence of the Lord is, there is the fullness to capacity. No more room for anything. There is the fullness. Of joy, You know, sometimes when you talk to people um, and you talk about heaven, it's like, oh, heaven's so boring. You know, little, little cherub angels sitting around playing harps all day long. Like, how boring would that be? No, in the presence of the Lord, there is the fullness of joy. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know this. There isn't going to be one thought that I would think like, man, if only God would do this, it would make it better. That, that thought will never happen in heaven. Because it's a place where there is the fullness of joy. And those who have trusted in Christ, who are pure in heart, what does it say? They shall see God. So let me bring this home, wrap it up. Uh, Worship team, if you could come and join me on the stage here now. How do we have absolute assurance, absolute assurance today? Today? That we will be with God forever. The way that Scripture describes that we have absolute assurance of the forgiveness of our sins is that we simply trust in Him. We simply say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. You are my Lord. I give you my heart and my life. I repent of all my sins. Would you forgive me? And would you fill me? If you believe that by faith, you can be sure of being in heaven for all time. For those of us who have repented and have believed, we can struggle bit by bit. We want purity, and yet there are challenges that we experience. Where the Lord calls you to cut off your hand or pluck out your eye, dear friend, do it. Because that's the pathway to blessedness and for those of us who are on that road and perhaps may be a bit weary this morning of the struggle the Lord says to you don't give up my spirit is in you the battle has been won I am the victor and I will bring you to the other side so let me conclude by reading from Revelation just one picture of what life on the other side will look like. Actually, could you stand with me as we read this? God, because he wanted to encourage our hearts... He gave a vision to the Apostle John. He let him into the reality that was to come. And John wrote it down for us so that we could have this glimpse of, of what's to come. From Le- Revelation 21, he says this Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Dear friends, this morning, if you are in Christ, the former things, they've passed away. We're going to an eternal future where God is going to dwell with man. We will see God. So let's take courage. Let's have hope this morning. Because God is doing His mighty work, even as he prepares for himself a beautiful bride without spot, without wrinkle, in purity for himself. Let's pray. Lord, we're astounded that you would take notice of us. We're astounded that in our own rebellion against you that you would, you would even care. And yet you in certain love sent your son Jesus Christ into this world not to reform our manners but to give us a new heart that we might now live for you in purity and in holiness. Lord, none of us in this room do it perfectly well. We still stumble, but but we have hope today because you've given us your spirit and you promise to carry us home. As you say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.